0: On a rabbit trail today, I feel like I've been doing rabbit trails more often than lately, and I I need to kind of tighten up a little bit on that. But uh, we, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought I want to develop this a little further. Uh, something that I mentioned, and and what made me think about this is uh, I'm I'm entitling it "Going to the Other Side," and, and you'll see what I mean. But one of the things I th- that got me thinking about this is even last week um, we, we had missionaries who were here and they were speaking, and I thought you know. It, it, I always want to keep in my mind who matters to God because God tells us in his word who matters to him. Jesus, he, he He illustrated it in his life, who matters to him. He did that in a very purposeful and intentional way. And what happened was people sometimes reacted strongly to that because who mattered to God often didn't matter to others other people didn't think they mattered that much and that's very key for us to remember and so God is looking for people who are willing to reach people that other others don't think matter very much and he, he wants to push us on that. He wants us to sometimes go to the hard places. He wants us um, I love there's an, there was an old phrase um, back all the way back to jesus 's day where they would talk about disciples as they followed their rabbis. they would follow their rabbis everywhere they went, and the saying was, "May the dust may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi." in other words you 're following your rabbis so closely." that the dust from his feet gets on you. And it was this idea that you were not just following him physically closely, you were following him closely in the spiritual realm and in learning and in teaching and in growing in the Lord. And so, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So I want you to imagine there. Imagine this man, Abraham. He sees this, he has this great vision, and and God casts a vision. I want you to bless the whole world. You're going to impact the whole world. This is my vision for you. But look at the cost. He says, I want you to leave and I want you to go and I'm not telling you exactly where you're going, which is kind of vague for somebody if they're about to embark on a long trip. You know, I've never had with my family, we're getting ready to go on vacation, and my wife say, where are we going? I'm just not sure. Let's just drive and find out. You know, and then partway through the trip, you know, Sarah's like, where are we? And Abraham's like, only God knows where we are. Only God knows, I'm so totally lost, which is normal for me on trips, so that's that's a little more normal. But in those days, and even today, in, in, in very conservative homes, little children will say, Abraham went. He went. God says, I want you to go. And I'm not telling you where you're going. I will show you along the way. I will guide you along the way. Trust me on this, but just start going. And scripture tells us, and Abraham went. He obeyed God. And he says, I'll make you a great nation. And so now when we come to the time of Jesus, we have all these, all these Israelites, the, the Jewish nation, and they're waiting. When will that kingdom come? When will that great blessing come? When will the kingdom be ushered in? When will the Messiah come? And they're looking for the Messiah, anxiously looking for the Messiah. But they all have ideas on what this means. And we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to remind you. There were a group called the Zealots. They believed it was going to come by force. It was going to come by revolution. The the kingdom would be ushered in by slaughtering the Romans, retaking the land, and then growing as a nation and, and conquering as they went. That's what they believed, the Zealots. The Essenes were very big around the time of Jesus. They withdrew. They went and lived in, 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 in a couple of big communes in the desert. So It's where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls is from these people who withdrew and they hid things in caves and they withdrew and they said only by withdrawing from the evils of all of this world can we purify ourselves enough so that the Messiah will come. The Pharisees, they've, they stayed in, in, in cities and they stayed in the world in a sense, but they had very strict rules and regulations. They, they, they followed extreme religion. Lots of do's and don'ts. They took all the laws of God and then they expounded on them more and more. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. That's what he said, don't, don't work on the Sabbath. And so what did they do? This is typical for rabbis. What does work mean? All right, let's break it down. How far do I walk before it's considered work? So how far do I walk before I begin to sweat? Quarter of a mile. Okay, on a Sabbath day, you can't walk more than a quarter of a mile. All right? And then all these things. What constitutes work? How much cooking constitutes work? And they, they made tons into. God just said, I just wanted you to rest. That's all I was asking. And you guys have made this into more work in how you rest. I mean, you think about how that got twisted. And so the Pharisees, they all these regulations, there were even, and, and this uh, I was reading about this, and uh, a guy, he's a scholar out of, uh, I think it was Rice University, he's an he's, he's a ancient Near East scholar, and, and he made a reference to, they had what they called the black and blue Pharisees. And the reason they called them that was because they so much wanted to make sure they didn't lust or have an impure thought that if there was a woman around, they'd close their eyes. But they wouldn't stop walking. And so they would bump into things. Boom, ow. And then it was like, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, nah, they wouldn't say that. I don't know why I said that. I'm suffering for God. <laughs> I'm suffering for God. Now look at that. I, just, I bumped into the corner of a building because I wanted to be so pure. Look how pure I am. And so that was how the Pharisees were. Then we had the last group, which was the Sadducees. And the Sadducees was just like, get along with people, just get what you can now. Do what you can to make the most money because this is all you get. You don't get a do-over. Just live for this life. Get the best life you can, and that's all you get. They didn't think about eternity. Oftentimes, many of them didn't believe in it. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe there would be everlasting life. Their idea of everlasting life was just get what you can right now. And so they did. So you have all these people, and they're thinking, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? It comes by force. It comes by purity. For the Sadducees, this is it. It just comes by making as much money as you can. And they all agreed with this, though. The kingdom was for the Jews. The kingdom would be good news for Israel. The sons and the daughters of Abraham. Those were the people that the kingdom was for. And so when Jesus comes and he says, I am the kingdom bringer, he says, I'm going to bring up there, down here, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm bringing up there, down here. It's coming through me, through my teachings, through my body, through my death for your sins and burial and resurrection. The kingdom is coming through me. This is a dangerous thing for him to be saying because this stirs up the trouble because it goes against what they believe. You say you can't do that. And so early in Jesus's ministry, <clears throat> he's teaching in Galilee And there's big crowds, so big that he got out in a boat so that he could speak to them. And so you have to imagine he's in a boat and there's a hill kind of rising up. It's almost, we see it, it almost looks like a bowl. So the people are on and and you can hear perfectly for a long ways because it's, it's made, it's just that, that's how it is because of the shape. And so he's teaching. He's teaching and it says that day, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, let me explain that. He's at the Sea of Galilee, and he's on the western side. And he says, let's go to the other side. Now, that's, in a sense, a kind of code. What does it mean? Because it's really a bomb that he's dropped on them. What is the other side? And it's, it's a geographical reference, but it's not just a geographical reference. The other side is across the Sea of Galilee, to what is called the Decapolis. So you hear in Decapolis, Deca, which is 10, and then the addition of polis, which means city. It's the area of 10 cities, the Decapolis. And it is, a, in a sense, the other side's a geographical reference, but also, this is the side that no Jew would go to. This is an area that no Jew would be caught in. Because of what they stand for. Let me just show it to you on a map here. If you can see, uh, it's a little hard to see. But, but uh, in, in the blue there, about uh, two-thirds of the way up, it says Lake Tiberius. This is, this, is this is a Roman map. And so this is the Sea of Galilee, what we would call the Sea of Galilee. And he is approximately teaching just above the S in Tiberias, if you can see that. And directly across, you see it's color-coded, all the different colors. There's 10 colors, 10 cities. That is the Decapolis. There are 10 cities, and that's the area where they have influence, where people are influenced in that time. And so you see they're all kind of bunched. And if you go from where it says Lake Tiberias, where's the other side? The other side is, is uh, Hippos. It's directly across. So so that's where they're going. Now, why does this bother them? Because this bothers, you know, I don't even have to try to explain it too much. This bothers the disciples terribly, all right? So let's talk about why. This is an area where the Jews believed when they conquered the land, the seven nations of Canaan that they conquered were pushed into. Oftentimes, they, when they won a battle, they'd retreat. And so they all retreated into that area. So it's 10 cities, and there are, in their eyes, seven ethnic nations that are there that are hated. In, uh, in Joshua, it says, this is how you will know I think it says, there it is. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Democratites, and the Republicanites. All right? He says, this is how you'll know. This is how you'll know. These people will be pushed out. And what they believed is they went to that area. In uh, in Acts 13, 19, it says... He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. And so what is he talking about? He's in the white, in the white on the left side. That's the nation of Israel. Samaria's in there also. He says, he gave you that land. Those people got pushed into this land where the, where the color code is on here. And the Decapolis, we know archaeologically, they, they've uncovered. They had amazing temples. They had cults that exalted sexuality and violence and wealth. And this was everything the Jews stood against. You know, the the most repulsive, unclean animal to a Jew is a pig. In the Decapolis, they found Canaanite temples that worshipped pigs. There was a A cohort of of English, a cohort, I'm really getting mixed up here, a cohort, a legion of Roman soldiers, I should just say that, stationed right around Hippos. And every Roman legion has a battle flag. And every Roman, this is really getting into the weird stuff, I know, but I love this stuff. Every Roman legion has a battle flag. And on every Roman legion's battle flag is their mascot. Guess what that legion's mascot was? A wild boar. And so across, across, that, across that body of water is everything the Jews hate. You know, they, 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 they have these cults that, that involve unspeakable things. Uh, violence, uh, oftentimes violence to women. I mean, just all of this stuff is going on over there and the Jews are like, that's the worst place. That's the worst place we could go. It was a center for Roman power. The Jews considered it Satan's land. It was dark, it was evil, it was oppressive, it was demonic, and so no one would go there, especially not a rabbi. And so, think about this. Knowing all of that, this great day of ministry, right above the S in Tiberias, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus just casually says, let's go to the other side. Imagine that. Imagine that for a moment. They're like, What? What? Can you imagine Peter? Peter would be like, What? (laughs) Jesus, you're such a great guy, but no, 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 no. You know, you are so, you do such awesome stuff, but you have no common sense. I mean, think about what they'd think. Why? The first thing in their mind would be, Why? Why go there? What good reason do we have to go to a place where everyone hates us and we hate them? It's kind of a mutual thing. And they're thinking, why is he doing this? Doesn't he know the kingdom's for us? It's like he thinks other people can get in, and we all know that's wrong. And so they obey. And they get in a boat. And we're not going to go through, there's a lot of scripture, but if you remember what happened, they get all the way out, like right in the middle, and a storm comes up. Now, just a, just a quick thing on this. Uh, people back then, and some places in today, people believe that. They believe that oftentimes gods were territorial. Now, the Jews were getting it straight that God is the God of everything, but they believed that the places of deep water were, were the strongholds of Satan, So that when, and and not just the Jews, that was a very common thing. When uh, they would oftentimes come to the Sea of Galilee and they'd want to go around or go someplace, they would go around to the other side. They would never go across to the other side because that's the deep water. That's Satan's stronghold. Even if you study the trade routes in the Mediterranean Sea, they never went like like from Italy down to Africa. They never went straight across. They always went around. Why? Because deep water is forbidden. In that day, too, most people didn't know how to swim. Most fishermen didn't know how to swim because they would be like, why swim? Why learn how to swim? It's a death trap. Even if you can swim, you'll die because it's Satan. You'll get dragged down. It's Satan's place, which, rabbit trail. One reason why the Roman legions were so powerful, they taught every soldier how to swim. And suddenly, when they came into battles where there was a river in play, it didn't bother them. Because they could swim, and that was unheard of. Okay, never mind. Let's just stick that somewhere. That was free. Okay, so they're confused. They're idiots. They're irritated. They're scared out of their wits. A storm comes up. They go, Jesus, don't you care that we die? See, their point is, even if I'm holding on to a piece of driftwood, I'm a dead man because Satan's going to get me and he's going to pull me down. They believe that. So you're a goner. So they're like, Jesus, we're dead if this boat sinks. And then Jesus calms it to show them he has that kind of power. And so they're gonna go to the Decapolis and they're afraid. How often does fear keep us from reaching someone or doing something we know we should do? They have a lack of compassion. How often do we struggle with a lack of compassion for other people? bigotry against people who are not like me a lack of vision they can't imagine and you know i'm not sitting up here standing up here like telling you oh you need to be less fearful you need to have more compassion you need to have less of a lack of vision because i struggle with it too I mean, when I first started going to to, to the the Navajo Reservation in Arizona, we we were working with them, and and it was coming along. And then um, when I became pastor here at First Church, Bill Manning took over that trip. And within a couple years, they were doing things that I had never dreamed of. They were doing things that I hadn't even imagined to pray for. And it was because my vision was kind of narrow. And Bill's vision was very expansive and so he tried things and he did things that I never would have dreamed of doing. And things happened and hearts changed and people, uh, uh, people's lives changed. Why? Because of his vision and I realized, you know, I, I can. Ha- and it wasn't like I was trying to have a lack of vision. It was just so tough the first few years that I couldn't imagine that it could ever be as good as it is. And sometimes our lack of vision keeps us from following God. Sometimes it's just our comfort level, or the inconvenience, the difficulty, sometimes the pain that might be involved, holds us back from following God. All of these things are coming into play with these disciples. And the storm comes up. And can you imagine, they were probably like, we knew this was going to happen. We knew there'd be a storm. We tried to tell them. Why go across to those people? They hate us. They worship demons. This is, this is the part where demons are. No wonder there's a storm. And so they're mad at him because he's asleep. Don't you care that we die? And finally they reach land. And in the story, if you know the story, I'll just tell you and then we're going to start picking it up. They have a welcoming party. It's one man. It's a man who's possessed and he screams out all the time, and he cuts himself, and they can't control him, so he's banished to live in a graveyard. What would be the most unclean place for a Jewish person to live? (laughs) In a graveyard. And I can imagine the disciples going, we left the big crowds for this? One crazy guy who's cutting himself? He's running around without any clothes on. He's screaming. He lives in a graveyard. He sleeps with dead people. That would be, I think, maybe the good start for a movie. I sleep with dead people. <laughs> something like, I don't know, something like that. That's a, just came to me. So they're like, we knew this was going to happen. So this man runs up. And I can imagine they're thinking, he's going to try to kill us, or we're going to have to kill him. And if we kill him, we'll be unclean. This is going to mess everything up. Good job, Jesus, right? And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Legion, it's interesting, that's a Roman term for a large group of soldiers. And so he's possessed. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. You know, you can can see the interplay between singular and plural here because the man is speaking, but it's the demons who are speaking. And he says, don't send us out. Don't send us away. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, we tend to think of pigs a little differently nowadays than how people thought back then. Uh, I've I read recently an article about this surge in people having uh, pigs as pets because they're very cute and cuddly and supposedly they're very loyal. Supposedly they're they're not 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 that filthy. I, I didn't know that. But we always think of pigs, you know, we think of things like Porky Pig, you know, or Wilbur, or or if you're over like 60 like me, you think of Arnold Ziffel from Green Acres, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Fresh air, Times Square, that kind of thing. We th- the, but we think of pigs. These these cute pigs, they had to die. But it was different in Jesus' day. Okay? For one thing, this is a very interesting power play that's going on here because pigs, pigs were sacred to the Canaanites. And, and, and in 1 Maccabees, we see a, a, a thing when the Maccabees revolted around 300 B.C. Um, they revolted and then finally the Romans came and they, and they crushed it after a, a couple hundred years. And one of the things they did is they gathered these Jews together and they forced them to eat pig or die. And, and and we see from the Josephus writes that thousands of Jews that day submitted their necks and said, Cut my head off. I'll never eat a pig. I'll never I'll never eat that. That's that's not what I do as a Jew. It's it's unclean. And so what we have here is you have to understand this is an incredible power encounter. This is a sacred animal to the Canaanites and Jesus and demons. And who's going to win? And Jesus is saying, I'm greater than their gods. He he just proved it to them in the middle of the lake. I'm greater than the wind and the waves. And now he's saying, I'm greater than this God. I have this authority. Throughout the Gospels, you will see this come back over and over and over. Jesus, it says, he teaches with authority. They're amazed that he teaches with authority. They ask him, by whose authority do you teach at different times? They say, who gave you this authority? The, 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 the Hebrew word there is shmiha, which is which is this idea of being anointed to speak with authority. And they're asking him, "Who gave you this shmiha? You speak with shmiha. Who gave it to you? How did you get this?" And Jesus is showing, "I have this authority. I have this authority here. I have this authority here. I have this authority here." He's constantly che- teaching this. Who gave you this authority? And and there's a power encounter. And Jesus shows the power that he has. Now me, I always think of weird things. Like, imagine you were the guy in charge of the pigs. And you hear this yelling going on. And all of a sudden, your whole herd just goes right into the lake. What am I going to tell the owner? Right? You got to go to him and say, dude, I'm really sorry. All your pigs are dead. What happened? You just had to be there. I, I'm not sure, they committed mass suicide. You know, just, just, that's me, that's how I go. Okay, so, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man they had, the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in, in his right mind, and they were afraid those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as, as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Isn't this an interesting, what an interesting response. They come back. People run and say, you won't believe what happened. They come back, and first of all, it says they see that man, that man who had been uncontrollable, the man who had cut himself. They tried to restrain him, and he'd always gotten free, and, and, and he, he lived in a graveyard, and he was just totally out of his mind. And they see him, and he says, he's sitting there, he's sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Why are they afraid? And I think part of it is because now they realize they are facing something they've never seen before. There's a power here that is greater than any power they've known in their life. Now, remember where we're at in this, remember... Ge- geographically and eth- ethnically where we're at. So here stands this man who has the power to do things they've never dreamt of, and he's a Jew. Rutro. Right? They're like, this, this may not end well, because this guy hates us. And they're thinking, if I had that power, I'd strike him dead. He's a hated Jew. We're part of the Canaanites. We're part of the uh, the Gerasites. We're part of the Jebusites. We're the ancestors that you kicked out of our land. If I had that power, I'd start taking names. I'd start pew, pew, pew. So now suddenly my enemy has that power? And so it says they began to plead with Jesus to leave. And that word, pleads means they strongly, they begged for mercy. They begged for mercy. Please leave us. Please leave us. He has this power, and he's not one of them, and they're afraid. Oftentimes, in people's lives, fear and ignorance can keep us from coming to Christ or from fully devoting ourselves to him. Fear of what he might do, fear of what he might ask. And that's the fear. We experienced that same fear. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I just put in there, I just, I can imagine that man. He's like, Jesus, look at my life here. I got nothing. Let me be your disciple. Jesus is challenging people to follow him, and now someone says, I want to follow you with my whole life. And Jesus says, no. No. I want you to go tell your story. Verse, verse, uh, verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell, and this, this is what's key, it didn't say he began to tell in Hippo, he didn't, he didn't begin to tell in this city or this city, the whole Decapolis. He's, he says he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. This man evidently had quite a reputation, and so now, can, I mean, can you imagine? Maybe you're in a village that's not far from that graveyard, and this guy starts walking, and it's like, here comes trouble. Man, we've had a tough time with this guy. You know, get the sheriff and the deputies and, you know, posse and uh, whatever. And, uh, and he's walking, and he goes, no, 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 no. I'm sane. I'm whole. I'm alive again. And they're like, this is a miracle. He, yes, it is. Let me tell you what happened to me. And so he started telling people what happened to him. And this is kind of that, uh, to date myself again, the kind of a Paul Harvey thing, and now here's the rest of the story. Because Jesus leaves the Decapolis and he continues to minister, but in Mark chapter seven, at the end of Mark chapter seven, Jesus goes back to the Decapolis. He goes back to that place. And people welcome him, and they bring people to him. And it says he ministered for many many days. We don't know exactly how long. But they went from saying, please leave us alone. Please don't kill us. Just get out of here. They went from that to saying, he's here. Bring people to him. The seven nations of Canaan, the Decapolis, the sworn enemies of the Jews, the unclean people, they were praising the God of Israel. Why? Because someone told their story. A man told his story. It's hard to argue with someone's life story. It's hard to argue with someone who says, this is the way I was before, this is the way I am now. And the question for us is, will you tell people your story? And I know what happens sometimes, this, this, this can happen, is people say, well, my story's not as cool as his story. You know, like, I became a Christian as a kid, and I didn't get into all, I didn't, I didn't do, I, I, you know, most people that have incredibly, tough stories wish they didn't. They wish they became a Christian as a kid and missed all the hell they went through in their life. I look back at things that I did and people that I hurt before I knew Jesus Christ, and sometimes after, but especially before I knew Jesus Christ, and I wish I didn't have to have gone through that. I think of people who are hurting hurting because of me, and I wish I hadn't Done that and, and that was part of leading me to him, and I'm thankful that he used it. But I hate that I did it. And so we see here, Jesus is teaching the disciples that the good news is for everyone. Jesus is teaching us the good news is for everyone, and he's going to confirm that with a miracle. All right. So in Matthew six, we have uh, what is called the feeding of the of the uh, feeding of the five thousand. Um, I think that's... The, anyways, they ate and were satisfied and the, basket, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls full of broken pieces of bread and fish. Okay, so he's in, he's in Judea and he feeds all these people and he, and he picks up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread. All right, 12 basketfuls of food are left over. Now, think about that. 12 tribes of Israel... 12 basketfuls. Now that might not mean much except for what comes afterwards. All right? Because it's kind of this, well, anyways, what comes afterwards. Now in Mark 8, he's on the other side. He's in the Decapolis and he's feeding 4,000 people. And when they ate and were satisfied, afterwards the, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls full of broken food, pieces of food that were left over. Hmm, why seven? Is Jesus just trying to be a little more economical? Did he just overshoot the first time by 12 and so he reined it in a bit, but he didn't want to rein it in too much because we might end up with not enough? So is this, it's only seven over this time with this miracle? I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's saying, hey, 12 basketfuls, 12 tribes, the kingdom is here for you. Seven basketfuls, seven nations, the kingdom is here for you too, for all of you. Jesus is saying, the kingdom is for everyone. I'm bringing up there, down here, and it's good news. And it's good news for Jews, and it's good news for pagans. It's good news for these people who think they're the best, and it's good news for these people that you think are the worst. It's good news for everyone. And so, we're like that one guy. We have a unique story. And God has placed us in a unique place to tell the story. Don't think that where you live and where you work and what you're doing right now and the places that you go to are just some sort of an accident or coincidence. God has you there for a reason. God wants to reach the shipyard for Jesus Christ. He wants to reach the Navy for Jesus Christ. He wants to reach, you know, army. He wants to reach the military. He wants to reach everybody for Jesus Christ. And so he places people there to tell their story, simply to tell their story. At the very end, I'm just going to read this to you. uh, In Matthew 28, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, all shmiha." in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and I, and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age i love that this starts off with they saw him they worshiped and some doubted i love that because that's how we are god can work in our life god can work in my life and he can do things, and I go, man, God, you are so awesome. It is so amazing to see you working. I'm so privileged to be and then, And then a month later, be going, oh, is he listening to me? Are you really there? Is this a dream? Am I in the matrix? You know, I just, I, that, all that junk can go on in your head. Why? Because we tend to, we tend to so easily doubt. And it makes, just makes me feel better. The people saw Jesus rise from the dead, and we're like, eh, I'm not so sure. I had pizza last night and it seemed to be, I don't know. And they think that maybe it's not true. I love that, I love that. Because that's how people are. And Jesus told them, I want you to go. Like Abraham, I want you to go. Even if you're doubting, I want you to go and tell your story. You notice in this calling to go, he doesn't call us to be comfortable. We're called to tell the good news to the Jews, to the pagans to the Roman centurion, to the demon-possessed guy, to the Samaritan woman at the well, to everybody. It's good news for everybody. Now, uh, my intention is not to lay a guilt trip on you about how lousy you have been at telling the good news to people. So this is no rebuke. This is simply a challenge. Between now and Easter, I challenge you, pick one person in your mind. And regularly pray for that person. Just pray. Maybe it's somebody who who needs to know Jesus. Maybe it's somebody who needs something very specific. But just pick one and pray and be intentional about it. Pray that somehow they'll hear and respond to the good news. And pray that if the opportunity presents itself, you will tell your story. Now, here's the great thing if the opportunity doesn't arise, you're off the hook. But you pray saying, God, I will do it if you make it happen. I will do it. There's this, there's this guy at work, and he's a total jerk. But I, I know he needs Jesus, and so I'm going to pray for him. And if between now and Easter, he, a conversation gets going, I'm willing to tell my story. After Easter, all bets are off. You don't even have to talk to him ever again for the rest of your life, right? Okay, but just be praying because what will happen is you'll find too that as you pray, your heart will soften. You'll start to, you'll start, to start thinking, why is this guy a jerk? I mean, what is his history? What is his background? Why is he this way? And, and, and you'll, you'll start to feel like, man, I, maybe I should pray more. Maybe I should continue. Maybe there's some, you'll be surprised what will happen. And you just say, God, what do you want me to do? I'm praying for this one person. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to invite them to something? Do you want me to call them? Do you want me to talk to them you know, over the water cooler? Do you want me to feed them? Do you want me to invite them to church? Do you want me just at some point in a conversation say, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for you. Do you mind if I pray for you sometimes? I'll pray for you. I have someone in mind between now and Easter I'm going to be praying for. And I encourage you to do that. Because God says to us, just like Abraham, he says, go. Whether it's across the street or across the globe, he says, go, take that step of faith. It may be a little scary, but you have a story. I think about this. I said to somebody the other day, I, I wrote it down because I was trying to remember this, but I said, I, "They just." I said, look, I just want to tell you a little bit about me. Jesus Christ is the one. He went to the cross for me. He died for my sins. I've been forgiven. I can face death and eternity now with confidence because of what he has done for me, he opened my eyes. And if you can do that, you can can tell your story. And so I encourage you, as you leave this place, almost, you know, a rabbinic blessing, may you go and be covered with the dust of your Rabbi Jesus so that you begin to look just like him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can be here and we can worship and we can learn your word. Father, we pray that your spirit would apply, that he would bring things to our uh, remembrance. And Father, as we leave this place, Lord, we would be willing to tell our story to at least one person in the near future, that we would be looking for the opportunity. And Lord, you just call us to be willing and faithful You don't call us to be the Apostle Paul. You don't call us to be Billy Graham. You call us to be ourselves and just to be willing. Help us to take that step. And it can be scary, but help us to take the step of being willing to leave our comfort zone and impact the life of another person. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take an offering now and uh, if you if you are visiting we just want you to know as our guests we don't ask you to give we don't want you to feel pressured this is what our regular